PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites. Archive, distribute, and display your photos in a flash-free, responsive website. Try one for free for 14 days at PhotoShelter.com. Get our latest educational guides for free. PhotoShelter.com slash resources. Hey everyone, it's Alan Murabayashi speaking to you from PhotoShelter headquarters here in New York. If you're joining us on YouTube, you're probably watching us on YouTube.com slash PhotoShelter. And if you're listening to the podcast, you might have downloaded it from iTunes by searching for I Love Photography. Uh, if you are a regular follower of the show, you're probably thinking, who the heck are these guys? Where the heck have they been? It's sort of like, uh, you know, when your favorite TV show takes a hiatus and they break the season up into like two parts and you're like, really? We have to wait for Mad Men to come back on for, you know, season five and a half? That was a terrible analogy. At any rate, this is my co-host, Sarah Jacobs. What's going on, Sarah? Hey, Alan. How you doing? I am doing okay. I am, uh, I've been battling a cold. Uh, for a while, uh, and once I got one uh, over one cold, I got another one. Mm. There's something going around. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad we're back on air. Yeah, it's good to be back, you know, and the thing that we realized, well, we knew all along, photography doesn't stop when we stop show, uh, showing up for the show. Photography keeps going on. It's true. There's been a lot of news. I got a, I got a little note from uh, one of our, our favorite photographers and longtime fans, Brad Mangin, who is a very well-known photographer out in the Bay Area. And he says, where the heck has the show been? That's kind of one of my, my weekly rituals. Oh, wow. Oh, so here's Brad. a shout out to Brad. <laughs> We're back. We're back. Let's talk about some photography. Sounds good. <laughs> hey, so the NPPA uh, hired Sarah Quinn to talk about what the, the value of a, photogra of a photograph in this day and age. So she has a four-part weekly series on the NPPA website. Um, and part of the work that she's done was gathering, I think, about 52 people. And they did an eye-tracking study. So they showed these 52 people uh, 200 photographs and had them comment on uh, the quality of the image and then they just tracked where their eyes were going. Um, and eye tracking studies, whether you're doing user interface studies or whether you're looking at photographs, are always really, really interesting, right? Because you can't, it's one thing to say, this is what I found interesting in the photo. It's another thing to actually look at people's eyes and see where they went. It turns out of those photos, they accurately predicted the quote, professional photo, the one taken by a professional 90% of the time. And they uh, were pretty effusive about the value. These are the, the non-professional photographers looking at the photos, effusive about uh, uh, why good photography and why professional photography uh, was better than amateur photography or user-generated photography. Yeah. Um, and the interview is pretty fascinating. They are going to release in, I think, maybe next week, uh, the 200 photos that they showed people. Yeah, so they looked at 200, every every person looked at 200 photos. 100 were taken by professional photographers, the other 100 by amateurs. And people were absolutely able to call out the amateur photography and the professional photography, which that, gives me hope. <laughs> yeah, and that, that isn't surprising to me. I, I will be interested in seeing the photos, though, because I think that you could obviously create mm -hmm. a set where... Mm -hmm anybody, you know, where it's not challenging. We've clearly seen amateur photography that looks professional 
or yeah. on the flip side, amateur photography that the person was just at the right place at the right time. So, for example, uh, yesterday or the day before when that plane in Taiwan went down mm. and people had dash cams, well, a professional photographer is not going to be there, but the dash cam took one hell of a photo right. of a plane going sideways, clipping the side of a highway, and then going into the, the water. Um, powerful, terrifying super image. Super powerful didn't require a DSLR to take that image. No. And whether the quality is a little bit less uh, than you would get out of a DSLR is irrelevant to the fact that the image was taken. Right. Well, they kind of, the, the article on MPPA's site, it, it created four pillars of like what these people uh, think makes a great photograph. And that is, one, the strength of the story told in the picture. It has to be a genuine moment. And then also rare access to whatever the subject matter is and a perspective on what's happening in the world. So yeah. being able to tell the photographer's perspective on the story that's going on. So which all those things, I'm like, yep, that's photo 101. But I'm glad that these non-photographers understand that and can see it in the picture, you know. The one thing that I found a little funny, they interviewed John Plumacki as a part of this video. Plumacki shot the iconic Boston bombing marathon photo. Okay, yeah. Uh, and they're interviewing him, and he's talking about, yeah, I just try to, you know, blend into the scene and not get in people's faces. And they show him taking a photo of this guy who's talking about how his brother was killed or something like that. And John is literally, like, two feet from the guy's face as the guy is, like, crying. Oh, and no. You hear his motor drive going off, like, click, 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 click. Wow, wow. The photos, which end up, you know, being put into the newspaper, the Boston Globe, are amazing. But it was funny to me because if he thinks that wasn't intrusive, I think he's been shooting for too long because yeah. it seems pretty intrusive. Yeah, when you're two feet away from the subject's face crying, no, no. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. Everybody has their own perspective. I, I don't know if you've watched, uh, what is that show called on uh, Showtime? It's called The Affair. I think it's called The Affair. Mm, I haven't seen it. So it's a show about, uh, you know, this, this married guy and this uh, woman, and they have an affair. Um, but the way that they show uh, the, the, each episode, it's the guy's perspective and the woman's perspective. And they're completely different. They're often completely different. The, the baseline narrative is the same, but their perspectives are completely different. And so I think one of the underlying uh, uh, theses of the show is that, that what is truth? Like our perception, our own perception can distort what actually happened and we all have our per perspective, um, which is true. And I thought about that in, in terms of John shooting. It's like, I'm not being intrusive. This is how I do my job. And then to the layman, it's sort of like, yeah, you're, you're actually, it seems like you're being intrusive. Maybe you're not. Maybe the guy didn't even know you were there. Who knows? It's complicated. That's what I'm trying to say. It's complicated. <laughs> Moving on. Another great photographer, John Plumacki was a great photographer, is a great photographer. James Nockway uh, won an award from the uh, American Society of Magazine Editors, the Lifetime Achievement Award. If you don't know who James Nockway is, um, you need to look at his work. Uh, I would be shocked if you haven't seen any of his images before because he has shot... Uh, almost every conflict on earth for the past 30 years or so. He shot an iconic photo of 
the trade towers falling uh, in front of a church uh, during 9-11. Yeah, that's the one photo in my mind that, that definitely stands out that I know is of his. The guy is a badass and he's been a contract photographer for time for many, many years and has gone into war zones and uh, different parts of Africa where people are starving and uh, just he, he has borne witness to so many things and brought to light so many issues around the world. Uh, it's the most, certainly one of the most deserved awards ever. The guy is an amazing, amazing photographer and there's a documentary uh, about him uh, where they mounted, this is before GoPro existed or anything, but they mounted a little camera on top of his camera. I believe it's called War Photographer. Um, and it just shows you how he works. Oh, wow, I haven't seen that. Yeah, and I've talked to other people who have worked with him and seen him work, and, you know, this is a guy who, and again, going back to Klumaki, it's like he blends into the scene, but he doesn't blend into the scene. He'll he'll jump into, like, a grave to take a photo and get the photo, and I don't know what other people are thinking when he's doing that, but he's just doing his job. Mm-hmm. There's a, uh, if you're not familiar with his work, which would be crazy. Um, there's a great little three-minute tribute to him on Time Lightbox right now with a great overview yeah. of the amazing images he's shot and uh, photo editors just speaking very highly of him and, and what it's like to work with him and get in his images. So I suggest you watch it. Yeah, Kira Pollock, who's director of photography, uh, who I had the pleasure of speaking with at a National Geographic conference in January, um, is there Marianne Galone, who's was at time and is now at the Washington post. Um, yeah, just it's the hits keep coming with this guy. Uh, you may or may not know that while he was in Iraq, he was in a Humvee and somebody threw a grenade into the car wow. and another reporter grabbed that grenade and threw it out of the car. I believe he lost his hand in the process, but James was okay. The guy has like come close to death many, many times and just keeps on doing what he does. And he's incredibly humble if you listen to the speech. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's insane. He's just like, the second he gets up there, he's like, let's pay tribute to all the photojournalists who are risking their lives to get the image and to tell these people's stories. I mean, it's really, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Really fascinating stuff. The Guardian asks... This is Jonathan Jones. What does our Instagram generation, why does our Instagram generation thinks its snaps are so special? Uh, and they talk about a photo of an iceberg, which was entered into a contest and it won. And then another photographer accused the photographer who won of plagiarism. It turns out they were both on the same cruise, shooting the same iceberg a few feet away from each other. So, of course, the images looked very, very similar. Yeah. Um, and I guess the most telling quote is uh, this one. Photography can easily degenerate into a pseudo art with millions of people all taking pictures of the same things and all thinking we are special. Mm. Yeah, well, this is a great example of, first of all, a bad contest, right? A bad yes. photo contest. I mean, this picture is nothing spectacular. Nothing no. no, it's nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's nothing special. Um, it's, it's a good picture. Exposure is good. It's an know. okay photo. It's an okay photo. But yeah, why did this why did this have to win anything? Uh, and why are there contests out there that are, you know, putting this on a pedestal? And if also, I was gonna critique this photo, Sarah, first mm -hmm. of all, the edges are clipped. 
Yeah, I, uh-huh. I feel it's a little too tight on it's the tight. iceberg, right? Like you're like, uh. Number two, you know, the difference between a a really good photo and a pro and an amateur is like they uh, a pro or a really good photo waits for the light. And here's a situation where you have really, really bright light and the exposure latitude is too wide, right? So you get these burnt out highlights uh, on the iceberg. And, w- and when we've seen really excellent photos like Camille Siemens series yes. on icebergs, yes. you don't get that. Like she's right. waiting around for the light. She knows how to take a photo. She knows how to expose for her highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there, you know, what's so special about this photo that, that two people got all up in a ruckus about it. Right, two two amateurs, yeah. two non-professional photographers. <laughs> I, listen, I don't have a problem with amateur photography contests. I mean, I celebrate photography all the time, but I think the guy's point is valid. It's like every photo you take is not precious. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and particularly of, I mean, I wouldn't say an iceberg is an everyday thing, but a lot of people go down to Antarctica and get on a cruise and take photos of the same icebergs because the cruises almost inevitably take the same paths. So it's the same iceberg. I bet, you know, there's probably a million photos, literally a million photos of this same iceberg. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. It, 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 it was a well-written uh, uh, editorial, um, and I think that he brings up some valid points uh, and worth reading. Worth reading. We've looked at different uh, photographer promos over the years, and we've had some blog posts on our 10 favorite uh, promos. Mm-hmm. Here's one. I will. I will give the guy credit for creativity. It's a thumb drive, a USB thumb drive, that looks like a severed thumb by the photographer artist Justin Poulsen. Um, not only a thumb, but his thumb. His thumb. His own thumb. His own thumb. <laughs> he made now, a mold of his own thumb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that this is going to qualify as my 11th most favorite photographer promo. Oh, really? Yeah, just because... It's kind of gross. Well, it's kind of gross, and and I think a promo, you want to be remembered not for the promo, Mm -hmm. but for the photography in the promo. Mm-hmm. It's fine to be sort of gimmicky, and we, you know, we've seen the one where the guy made the action figures of of himself, or the guy that put the bullet hole through the images, oh, right. and whatnot. But I think that that the action figure aside, like most photography promos that we really really like, have really great photography, mm-hmm. and then the packaging is the icing on the cake. Well, did you take a minute to look at his work, though? This guy's work. I, I honestly did not. Okay, because I kind of had the same reaction. Yeah. I was a little like, this is pretty gimmicky. It's gross looking, actually. Yeah. I don't think I would want this sitting on my desk at all. Yeah. Um, but then I took a look at his work, and he's he's got very quirky, kind of dark work. And so it actually fits the thumb very well. Interesting. And I was like, okay, okay, I get it. <laughs> so if you're familiar with his work, then you'll think, wow, that's spot on. Yeah. But if this showed up in your mail, you'd probably think, who the heck is this guy? I'm never going to work with him. I would be grossed out. And yeah, I might not want that thumb sitting out of my computer or, you know, on my desk. Well, so like all effective marketing, it's really got to be targeted at your intended audience. Yeah, yeah. He obviously wants to be working with sort of the offbeat (laughs) clients. (laughs) Well, hey, more power to you, uh, Justin. If it works out for you... 
if you get returned envelopes, then you know what's up. Might yeah. not be the best uh, idea. Right. Okay. How many times have we talked about Brandon Stanton and humans in New York? <laughs> so, on the... so many, so many times. times. About, and about so many different things. I just feel like this past year, we've been doing this show for a year now, he has done so many different things from like galas to like for Vogue to going out to war zones. Yeah. I mean, really impressive for a guy who wasn't trained as a photographer and, you know, and we've commented that he's still not that great of a photographer. Right. Um, but he certainly is a good storyteller. And to me, that is the big lesson that other photographers should take away, mm -hmm. which is the value of a story almost trumps. Well, it goes back to what we were saying with the NPPA stuff. If the photo can convey a story along with the caption, mm. then you're going to be successful. If you can create uh, images that, that resonate as being authentic um, and resonate, the story resonates with an audience in some form or fashion, whether they can relate directly or not, you're going to be effective. In this case, Brandon Stanton shot a photo uh, of a kid named Vidal and Vidal uh, was walking from school one day in kind of a rough part of Brooklyn and Brandon took a photo and he asked him who was like the most influential person in your life and the kid said my principal which Brandon thought was pretty interesting uh, and it turns out and he said well why and he says well when I get in trouble instead of the principal sending me home and suspending me she says look you got to pull it together you're going to, if you keep on this path, you're not going to be anything in this life. Um, and so he posts this on uh, his Facebook page and his blog and the thing goes viral. Mm. <laughs> and then, so he contacts the principal and he says, well, let's do something for the school. Let's raise some money uh, through an Indiegogo campaign. So they set uh, a target of a hundred thousand dollars. And when I checked last night, it was up to $1.2 million. Amazing. Amazing. And what they want to do uh, with some of those proceeds is allow the kids to take a field trip to Harvard to show them that you can be here. You belong at this school. And it's such an uplifting tale. And the takeaway for me from this particular crowdfunding story, because it is crowdfunding, We've seen so many photographer projects about crowdfunding where they uh, are trying to fund a book or they try to fund a trip to continue work on a, a, a certain topic. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that, 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 that's the reality. And I don't think it's a gimmick anymore. I think, I think there's some questions with crowdfunding initially, like is this sustainable? Now I, I think it's just a part of the way that the world works nowadays. But what the, what the Brandon Stanton Humans of New York, Vidal, principal story told me is that crowdfunding where there's a social purpose where it's purpose driven rather than project driven like photo project driven is going to be so much more successful and so all of these photographers that we've talked to you know we, we've seen a lot of photographers like Aaron Huey who are trying to tackle social issues uh, through their photography that type of project is much more resonant than saying, hey, I'd love to raise $5,000 to buy a new camera and go off to, you know, Senegal to take some photos. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. 
Yeah, I think I think Brandon really found his niche here. This feels this feels right to me for Honey. I haven't always been a Honey fan, yeah. you know, with everything he's done and we've talked about that, but this it's like this is his thing. He's helping people of New York. This makes perfect sense. Oh yeah. I hope that he keeps doing stuff like this. It's great. So they brought all three of them uh, together for the Ellen show and I watched a clip last night. Uh, and the principal, uh, I want to find her name because she obviously uh, deserves to be recognized. But yeah, Ms. Lopez. Lopez, yeah. Ms. Lopez is the principal. And she recounted a story where she was going to quit. She was going to quit. And she had a breakdown uh, in front of her mom. And her mom said, you know, you need to just pray. And she said, I'm not going to pray right now. I'm going to wait till Sunday to pray because that's when I go to church. <laughs> and... She said, so Sunday she goes to church. On Monday is when the photo goes viral. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So she had all this doubt, and she's talking at Ellen, and it's a really, really, it's a very honest moment because she says, you know, we work so hard, and, you know, what's the, what's the payback? It's so, it's so difficult to do what we do on a daily basis. And I don't think she was looking for, uh, uh, you know, people to feel guilty or give her sympathy. I mean, that's the reality of being a teacher in a public school. Like, it's tough stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it's so uplifting that they raised $1.2 million. And then Ellen, she gives away stuff on her show all the time. Uh, Target, one of her main sponsors, uh, is contributing $100,000 in computers to outfit not only her school, but a bunch of schools in the neighborhood. Oh, wow. So it's That's just, amazing. Yeah. I mean... It, it's incredible. Now, you can be cynical and say, well, what about all the other schools? And this is blah, 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 X, Y, and Z. That, I'm sorry. This is an uplifting tale. Um, and it's photography with a social purpose that accomplished something really, really great. And I'm very, very happy for all these. Yeah, it's pretty incredible when you think that a single photo and a caption did this. I mean, that's, that's great. It's amazing. <laughs> uh. I have been, uh, I, I went to Japan uh, during January, and uh, one of the things I did is, uh, one of the things I enjoy is drinking a, a lot of tea, um, and I'm getting in sort of the tea culture and the tea wear and all this kind of stuff, and so I've been uh, knocking around on different websites looking at uh, people who are making ceramics for tea. Uh, so I came across this site, and then I was looking at this photography, and then I went over to this photographer's site. And the photographer's name is Miho Aikawa. Oh, bring it up. Yeah. And she did a project, let's see if I can find it here, called uh, Dinner in New York. And Dinner in New York is her going into people's homes, specifically in New York, and taking photos of them basically multitasking while they eat. <laughs> And, you know, like, like any good photographer, she has kind of an artist statement about it. And she says that uh, eating as a primary activity declined in the past 30 years. Uh, on the other hand, eating as a secondary activity rose dramatically. Um, and we see that we're spending an average of 25 or more minutes in total daily uh, more, but we're doing more stuff. So 50% uh, we're eating food while we're concentrating on something else. Um, and so you see these photos and I, you know, I was, 
I was looking at these photos while I was eating dinner at my desk <laughs> yesterday, and I was like, gosh, this is so resonant for New York. <laughs> it, I, it definitely is. I love, she gives a timestamp for every uh, portrait that she's taken. It was fun to see people, some people eating dinner, uh, a monk eating dinner at 11 a.m. in the morning because he can't <laughs> eat past noon, and then others, like musicians living in Brooklyn, eating dinner at 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> so this it's, is... Yeah. It's funny because we, you know, the old stereotype is the bachelor or the single person sitting in front of the TV with the TV dinner and the little tray. Mm. Um, and that's kind of changed into, you know, people with the laptop out catching up on the Americans mm-hmm. or whatever TV show that they're watching, <laughs> their Netflix queue, um, and doing other things. I mean, this is just the reality of life nowadays. Absolutely. I know. Uh, I so rarely just sit and just eat. I mean, it's nice when you're having uh, dinner with someone else and you can slow down for a moment and have a conversation and people aren't checking their phones constantly. (laughs) But inevitably, that's sort of how it goes. You know, we're not accustomed to just having a conversation and having periods of silence where we don't try to do something else. <laughs> always funny. multitasking, always getting something done. I'm going to throw you a curve because I, I didn't put this on here, but since we're talking about food, I just want to show uh, everyone a website. There's a, a restaurant here in New York called Atera. It's a fancy schmancy restaurant. It has two Michelin stars for those who are uh, into Michelin stars. And uh, a food photographer named Evan Sung, who works a lot for the New York Times and New York Magazine and this and then he shoots a lot of uh, stuff for private brands. He teamed up with Atera, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send an, an email to find out more because I, I already talked to the, uh, the, the captain there um, to verify that it was Evan's work because I know that he had done stuff before. Check this website out. Let me pull it up here. So the homepage, now think about every restaurant website that you've seen in the past. This website was set up where Evan set an overhead camera above one of the prep tables and took a photo every minute that they were prepping. And the way that the website works is it shows you the photo at the same time uh, when he shot it. So for example, right now it's 12.23 p.m. Eastern Standard, and it's showing you a photo that he took at 12.23 Eastern Standard of this prep table. Oh, wow. So it's sort of like the Pharrell happy video, if you remember <laughs> that, the real time. You know, for 24 hours they shot people in LA singing, lip syncing to the song. Um, <laughs> synced up to the time so you could watch it. Um, and this is kind of the same thing. So you'll see, for example, now they're cleaning out the table. And maybe an hour from now, you'll see them prepping food. Um, and then as they get closer to service around, you know, dinner time, you'll see them, you know, assembling the food to be served on, on plates. It's such an interesting use of time-lapse photography and such an interesting way to market, to use photography to market on the homepage of a restaurant. Yeah. Right? It's not just yeah. food or menu or here are our, our hours. It's like this is what goes on. This is the meticulousness of preparation at this restaurant. Wow. And I just yeah. thought it was fantastic. Yeah, for them to be like, yeah, sure, we'll have, you know, an hour of time where our website isn't showing any food on the homepage. Yeah. I mean, that's ballsy. And I, I mean, I think people in general, especially people going to these type of restaurants, are becoming more interested in the process and in the chef's lives, you know? like Absolutely. And so this makes perfect sense. It's it's great. Well, chefs it. are celebrities, as we know. And exactly. It plays into the whole, uh, you know, narrative of, 
this contemporary feeling of wanting to have that authentic experience. And so seeing this behind the scenes seems a very like honest look at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it's, you know, it, it, it all looks very real, but whether or not the hand was actually right there at 1225 when he shot the image, like who knows? <laughs> True. Right? Well, I guess it's one per hour is what, is what it is, but whatever the case is, it's fantastic. Nike has been sued uh, by uh, Jacob Rentsmeister, Jacobus Rentsmeister. Uh, <laughs> Jacobus shot this image of Michael Jordan uh, for, I think it was a Life magazine, yeah. An yeah, Life, Life magazine. magazine. Doing warm-ups in 1984, um, for which he was paid uh, $150. Well... Yeah, he was so he was hired by Life to shoot the Olympic warm-ups in 84 and yeah. then Nike uh bought his slides for $150 for temporary use of temporary the slides. Use. Yeah. And then now look look at this pose and and think about what it looks like and so we'll scroll down here. And that became the Jordan Jumpman logo or the basis of the Jumpman logo. Yeah. without having compensation to Rentmeester. And right. his point is that this is not actually what Jordan looks like when he dunks. Nobody kind of like helicopters their legs like that. It's not an efficient way to actually get height. So you smack all your teammates yeah, in the face with your feet. Exactly. So <laughs> there really could be no other genesis of this other than the photo being like this is cool. So he's suing. He's suing for a lot of money. How much money is he suing for? Do we know that? I think, oof, I don't well, know. Whatever the case is, the, Jordan, the Jordan brand has generated, oh, here, uh, $3.2 in retail sales in 2014 alone. Wow. <laughs> so the, the brand has probably generated, I don't know, probably, you know, close to $100 billion. Yeah, um, since, eight, since the 80s, yeah. Since, yeah, since it came out. <laughs> And the guy wants to have a little bit of compensation for it. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to follow this. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if it's going to go through. <laughs> uh, going to win. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I think he deserves to be compensated. You know, the other interesting one is, uh, I think it's, oh, it's the Nike logo. So the actual Nike swoosh logo was designed by a woman um, who Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, uh, hired. Um, and she, I, I don't know if she got paid like $30 or $50. It was, it was a paltry amount that she got paid. Um, and that was it because who knew that Nike was going to become the global brand that it is today. Um, and I read an interview with her in the past year or so. And she says, you know, I only got paid $30 for it, but Phil has taken care of me. Oh, wow. Over the years. Wow. But I think he just, you know, sends her a check for let's say $10,000 a year or $20,000 a year. Let's whatever the taxable, I'm going to make, I'm making this stuff up. <laughs> I was Phil Knight and I became a billionaire um, in part because of the, the success of the logo. I'd give that woman the maximum amount that she wouldn't be taxed on per year, if not more. Mm-hmm. And just say, Hey man, uh, we appreciate what you did. And, and you know what? They should do the right thing. Do, do, do it. Just do it. Nike. Just do it, Nike. <laughs> I knew it was in there, right? Do the right thing. That's the Spike Lee movie. That's not, <laughs> not, that's not a Nike thing. Different. <laughs> uh, we live in an age of photography, Sarah. I don't know if you know that. 
Uh, I do. Okay. Uh, and in the age of photography, people take a lot of photos of themselves uh, nude and in sexually compromising positions to send to people they're having relationships with. Now, five years ago or ten years ago, uh, when this phenomenon was happening, people's initial reaction was, well, then if you don't want it out there, you shouldn't do it. And nowadays, people's reactions are rightfully so. What happens in the privacy of my own bedroom doesn't matter whether it's a photo or not. It shouldn't be out there. I didn't consent to that. So there's a whole genre of what's called revenge porn where guys post images of their exes online for other people to look at. And I'm saying guys because it's predominantly guys. I haven't actually heard of a case of a woman putting up revenge porn. Um, and so how to combat revenge porn? Uh, a law firm in Pittsburgh uh, has created uh, the Cyber Civil Rights Legal Project to tackle revenge porn. And here's the, the thing that relates back to photography, besides the fact that it, it is a photo. They're using copyright law as a way to get it down. Now, we've talked about copyright extensively, and we've, we've written guides about uh, copyright, and we've, we've had webinars on copyright. And the typical way that copyright works in conjunction with the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, is you say, I took that photo. I own the copyright. It's posted on your website. Here's the DMCA takedown notice because you're distributing copyrighted material. Please take it down. But doesn't, okay, the, the, here's my question, though. That, that means you have to register your photo. Uh, you don't have to register it to do a DMCA, as far as I know. Okay. Um, you just have to have, have to have taken the photo. Now, now, certainly they could come back and say, uh, well, we'd like proof. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to have proof is to have the copyright registration, Right. But you could, for example, I'm I, look, I'm making stuff up again, but, but we talk <laughs> about this because we're going to have a copyright seminar coming up. Yeah. For example, the, if the metadata on the image corroborates that it's off your phone, for example, or taken in your home, for example, then that's probably enough. Mm -hmm. the, the DMCA provision, you know, the, 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 when you send a DMCA to a site, if it's, if it's properly formed... They kind of have to do it. I mean, they don't always have to do it, but but they don't want the headache. Right. Um, and so it's an interesting, it's a novel way to attack revenge porn, and it's an interesting look at copyright and how it can be extended to, to solve this. I'm happy to say that this week one of the big revenge porn sites was shut down. Um, wow. And so I think things are being done, and, and I think uh, a handful of states have actually made revenge porn illegal. Um, which is good, and, and they want to have uh, more laws in place and maybe even a federal law to, to deal with this stuff. But seriously, you know, guys, stop doing it. Yeah, stop using 12? women's Jesus. bodies as a weapon against them. Yeah. <laughs> Please. It's ridiculous. Yeah. A very interesting article. Uh, this article and everything that we talk, uh, have talked about today will be on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com if you want to check them out yourselves. In addition to being in uh, Tokyo in January, I was also in Hawaii. Just all over the place, Alan. I was all over the place. Um, and I was in Hawaii because that's where I'm from. And Hawaii uh, has, uh, back in the day, had a big agricultural uh, uh, industry in sugarcane. Um, 
the Chinese being the primary people that were working in the sugarcane fields and the Japanese as well. Um, but I came across a set of images where people from Siberia were brought to Hawaii to work in the sugarcane fields. And it's kind of, it's not really like found photos because they weren't in a shoebox. They had always existed. But again, it's kind of a look back uh, at historical photography that sort of breaks the stereotypical mold, your idea. It's dispelling myths uh, in part about what was going on. But check this out, a Russian family migrating to Hawaii. Now, if you're not from Hawaii, you're probably like, what's the big deal? Russians migrated everywhere. Not in Hawaii. <laughs> but apparently they did. So this is on uh, PRI, Public Radio International. And just really fascinating to see these Russian faces and to know that they were working in the same fields where my like great-grandparents were working just really wacky. I bet they loved Hawaii after Russia. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about that, but if you came from a very cold climate, maybe you kind of wanted snow. Maybe you wanted seasons. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah it, it reminds me of another story. I, I, we, we haven't done this show in so long. I have so many stories to tell. <laughs> But there was a, I, I read a blog post about a guy who did that DNA testing, 23andMe, to check out his DNA. And uh, he found out, he thought he was, uh, you know, uh, Jewish and something else. And he found out that he was a, like a quarter Irish. And to make a long story short, another person that did 23andMe, they found out that they were related and what they surmised happened was that their dads were switched at the hospital accidentally. Whoa. Yeah. Wild. And so he always joked, you know, when people said, what ethnicity are you? He'd go, I'm Irish. And it turns out he actually was Irish. Wow. <laughs> so, so I'm just thinking back to like, oh, these Russians emigrated to, uh, to Hawaii. There's probably people who have like Russian blood in them that oh, yeah. may or may not know. Right. So interesting. We always like to end on a happy, positive note or a funny note. We found, uh, you found this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about it. <laughs> so Nikon has started a new uh, campaign about generation image. I love that. Yeah, and it's just about millennials, young people, having cameras all the time and documenting their lives. And they've sent, for the campaign, they've sent uh, their DSLR cameras to various um, online personalities, uh, people that have been popular on Instagram or Vine, etc. And one of them is a family um, that their image went viral about a year ago. It's two dads doing their daughter's hair. Uh, and this image just blew up over the internet. And uh, Nikon decided to send these dads uh, a camera and do a 12, like a two minute documentary on their family life. And it's just so heartwarming and sweet. Because the image, of course, it's, I mean, it's controversial in that it's- They're gay men with the family. Yeah, yeah. And so of course it got backlash. Um, so, but just a peek into these people's lives. It's so heartwarming. The family is so adorable. And I just salute Nikon for supporting this and, and having such a cool campaign. I mean, I love it. Let me just say, you know, I'm a Nikon shooter, so I feel fine. And I've been a Nikon shooter uh, for, for 15 years. So I feel fine criticizing the guys. <laughs> that, you know, the whole Ashton Kutcher 
as oh, a yeah. for Nikon. You think about you know how how the evolution of their marketing has worked. That was awful. It was bad. I remember that. You no, know, like a smug. Smug guy, like wearing a tuxedo, pulling out like a Coolpix camera and being like, I'm selling Nikons. That's right. <laughs> and to see this campaign now, first of all, generation image is brilliant because that's really what they are. Mm-hmm. Millennials are generation image, whether you're, you know, Instagram to Snapchat, visual communication is probably the defining feature of the millennials. This is a, a beautiful photo. Um, Obviously, haters are going to hate. Right. And if you don't support gay marriage or, or equality, then, of course, you're going to hate this image. But this is a beautiful photo. Two parents taking care of their kids in the morning. And you need to watch a video. They say they wake up at 5.30 every morning, and then they do their daughter's hair. And there's, any, you know, video. Any parent that wakes up at 5.30 with their kids to do their hair is a good parent. Yeah. And <laughs> black hair is no joke. <laughs> I have black friends and they're like, yeah, we, I did my hair. It took me like six hours to do my hair. Oh man. So the fact that they're combing that stuff out and, and, and doing it now, uh, Nikon, this image, as you can see, was shot on an iPhone. Right. But to Nikon's credit, they say, we don't care. What we want to do is give you a Nikon D750, their new camera, which is like camera of the year. Um, and, and, and go to it, go take some, some beautiful photos. This was a lovely, lovely, lovely campaign. Lovely. Lovely. I look forward to more of the videos coming out from the other people that they sent cameras to. It's hard to beat a this good one. story. It's I hard know. to beat a good story, man. Yeah. You know, Honey. And, and we've been saying this for years. It's like, you know, you got to find a compelling story. And the one thing you want to become better at as a photographer is being a better storyteller. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what sort of, artistic endeavor you're in, whether it's filmmaking or taking photos or whatnot, it's always, it always comes back to the story. It's not about the photography. It's about the story you're telling with the photography. Oh, 2015. It's going to yeah. be a good year. It's going to be gonna a great be year a for great photography. Year. I know. I feel like the first few stories we got, it's just so hopeful. I love and, it. You know, I'm proud because we didn't, we didn't once mention selfie stick. <laughs> and everything in the past few months has been about the selfie stick. But I know. We can I talk know. about it. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. Or maybe not at maybe all. Not. <laughs> well, you know I'm fascinated by selfies, so we'll talk about selfie stick at, at some point. Okay. But, uh, all right. uh, but not on this show. Not on this show. <laughs> uh, it's, it's dipping down to, I think, about 8 degrees tomorrow. Yep. Um, which is kind of a change from the 80-degree weather that I was in in Hawaii. Um, but ironically, I'm, I'm really happy to be back uh, in New York. Good. And I'm happy to uh, start photographing the snow and, and whatnot. Well, that'll probably change in a day. but yeah. one, one day you're out there and then you're like, screw this, I'm over it. It's freezing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, a lot of good photos uh, to be had this year. Um, and we're happy to be broadcasting again with I Love Photography Live. So for Sarah Jacobs, this is Alan Murabayashi. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.